that the, the writer, the human author here is a man named Paul, uh, who uh, was, a, was almost like a father to this new budding church, right? He was a part of its inception. Uh, now, there's a church here in the city of Philippi that previously there was not a church, right? So this uh, is new, right? And, and he uh, has been there with these people, spent time among these people. He loves these people, right? And so he writes this letter uh, to, to remind them of his love, to encourage them, uh, to let them know kind of a report of how things have been going with him and how he's doing. Uh, and also, he even has this uh, greater uh, sense of even challenge in some ways where he's correcting some of the things he's heard, some of the things that he knows are going on. So when he writes this letter to this uh, church, he, he gives them this, his dilemma, his desire, and then his decision. All right. Uh, it starts off in verse 23. We see it. It says, I'm hard pressed between the two. What's the two? Living, serving Jesus, right? Living out the mission, uh, which is of great benefit and value to churches like the Church of Philippi, right? Um, or dying and gaining. In other words, dying, closing his eyes on this side, and as the old saints would say, uh, waking up in glory, being with his Savior. And he's hard-pressed between the two. He knows there's there's value here to staying and to serving, but also there's, there's an immense uh, of joy in going and being with his Savior. Heaven, for Paul, is a place uh, where Jesus is, right? A lover of his soul. And so for him, he actually says uh, his desire is to be with Christ. That's far better is the words he uses, far better. Um, but his decision is to stay and remain and ultimately to serve the body, uh, to be a part of this relationship uh, with other believers where he can encourage them, he even says, in, a, in such a way that they can boast in Christ Jesus. This is uh, an incredible example of Paul as, as a father to this church, as, as a leader, leading by example, uh, having a dilemma and, and, and having a desire that's different, right? That's, that's, that might be more better for him personally, right? But then he chooses uh, to stay and to serve and to be a part and to encourage this body. And this is encouraging for us, all right? Uh, now, it's going to shift a little bit. Now, at first, he starts talking uh, earlier in chapter one as saints and then as partners or servants in the gospel. And now the language is going to change as we get to verse uh, 27. The Bible says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, when we see the word only, uh, it might not be obvious, but this only is, is kind of like a proverbial warning finger, right? It's, it's, it's like, wait, one more thing, you know, just, 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 just hear this, right? This is important. Uh, and he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. All right. Now that word, a uh, manner of life, another, another context uh, or scripture or translation, rather, it says conduct. Uh, and this is the word polytumai. It means your political affiliation and not red or blue. OK, not conservative or liberal. Uh, your political affiliation, that, that the root of this word, which we have political politics, policy, even police. It all comes from the root of this word, which is polis. And, and it actually has this uh, uh, this 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 denotation or, or this this meaning uh, of a city state whose citizens represented the state. Uh, by the way in which they lived. In other words, they lived out the constitution of their uh, origin place or their place of origin, their home. And when Paul is saying to these believers, hey, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. What he's saying is to live in such a way where people know where your political affiliation, they know where you're from, they know where your citizenship is. Now, a little later in the book, he draws us even more out when he says your citizenship is in heaven, right? Letting us know that we're not just uh, citizens of Detroit or the United States or, or whatever other country you may live in for those who are watching us from abroad. Uh, but he reminds us that we have a higher citizenship, a higher national identity, if you will, and that we are to live that out 
through our conduct, through our manner of living, people should know what kingdom we bow to, what's, what kingdom we're a part of, right? So in our kingdom, if love and justice and generosity is a part of it, right, then this is how we should live. And this is the case that he begins to feel. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Verse 27 is heavy. All right, there's a lot here. And probably won't get to it all, uh, but I need to draw attention to a couple of word pictures that Paul is kind of uh, 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 describing here and some of the words that he uses. When he says the word stand, he says, whether I can get to you or even if I'm absent, I want to hear that you're standing firm in one spirit. Well, it might not be obvious again, but that word stand is actually connected to like a military term. It's the way you would encourage soldiers. All right. That word stand is just like, you know, post up. Uh, it means to engage to persevere in a way where you don't lose an inch right this is what it means it means to contend in such a way where where no ground is lost where we ain't relating we are going back right uh we we won't give up or lose our ground in the faith and this is what he says he says in one spirit one attitude one mind he said you all are to as soldiers do right you are to stand against the affront which is real persecution at the time at the time in philippi uh this group of Christians that outnumbered in the city, uh, you can imagine they, for them, rather, uh, Caesar isn't Lord, right? Jesus is Lord. And that's the immediate problem in that day and age and in that context. Uh, so this pulls up this kind of military strategy, uh, the way soldiers are given orders, right? Now, another word picture uh, that Paul uses here is the word striving or contending side by side, he says, all right? Uh, now, if you were to take that word and kind of segment it, it's, it's soon which we would pronounce sin, which is, you know, with, together with, and then athleo, the word we get athletics from, right, or athlete. And it has this, this connotation that uh, we are to wrestle together alongside each other, uh, to contend or to compete, to uh, labor together, uh, sort of lock in step with each other, all right? Now, I played on the offensive line as a kid, uh, offensive and defensive line. One of the things about the offensive line, and for those who don't know in football, it's the guys on the front row, right? They protect the quarterback and the running back and everybody behind them. And this, this row of guys, uh, they are uh, kind of the first line of defense in a sense, right? And so there's two specific roles, unless you got a wildcat in there, pun intended. Uh, but there's two consistent roles. The first one is what's called pass blocking. And that's where it's kind of like that standing word. In pass blocking, you pick a line and your job is to not let the opponent encroach beyond that line, right? We just protect, we protect, we're here with it, arms out, right? Getting them, all right? And then there's what's called run blocking. Now, run blocking for old linemen is fun because it means you pick a person and your job is to advance them, to move them back to, to advance. And this is kind of the picture that Paul is giving here. Uh, one of military strategy, standing, not losing an inch. And the other, uh, which would have been hit home in this culture, uh, of the sort of athletic games, what it means to compete together alongside each other, to strive side by side, right? Now, you can imagine that the Roman guard, and of course, uh, this was very, very important, right? Uh, as we're talking about uh, what it means to, to have this political affiliation as we're talking about this sort of city-state who uh, uh, has citizens who had an ambassadorial responsibility that in this colonized region, right? Because Philippi wasn't Rome, but if you were in Philippi, it would seem, it would feel, it would look, it would be ran like Rome because of, it was colonized by Rome. So when Paul is talking to them and say, hey, uh, make sure you're living in such a way where people know uh, where you're from ultimately, not just here on earth. They know that you are a part of a future kingdom that you get to live out presently here and now. 
And this uh, would have landed very big. Romans would have loved the, the, the strategy, the military style, right? And then the Greeks would have loved this reference. They would have been able to see it, to wrap their minds around what it means to compete together, thinking of things like the Colosseum and the athletic games, right? So Paul is driving this notion of unity against external pressures home, all right? Let's keep going. It says in verse 28, not and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. I'm sorry. He said, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. But for you, it's a sign of your salvation and that it's from who? God. Verse 29 says, for it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but that you, and this is important, not just believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It's been granted, not just to believe, but also to suffer. In other words, this suffering for Christ's sake is a gift. This is an incredible way to encourage these people. This, 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 this church, this group, this community of believers saying, hey, the persecution that you're enduring for Christ's sake is actually a gift to you. No, it doesn't seem like it. It may not feel like it. Uh, but this is something that you can experience joy about. See, happiness may be what we often seek, but even the root of the word happy, happy. Right, a Latin chance, <laughs> like it's in. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. Right, but Paul is giving them a firm foundation here for joy and saying that hey, when you suffer for the faith in a way, uh, it assures you of your salvation. This is what he said for them, it reminds them that hey, it's over, perdition, destruction is coming, but for you, it's an assurance in a way of your salvation. We read this often, but I don't. I don't know if you can relate because when we get into a trying time, when, when, when you have a rough 72 hours, it's very easy to feel like, well, God, where, where'd you go? What did I do? <laughs> is, is there sin? But what did I, you know what I mean? Like, like, how did I miss it? I thought you said to do this. I thought you brought me here. I thought you, you, it was you that got me here. It was you that said to do this. It was you that told me to get in this relationship. It was you that told me uh, to be a part of this body or to be a part of this group or to be a part of this house party. You, you said it, but then I got there and something very different happened. What it means when, when God brings us into a job or a space and there's persecution there. And let's be clear. For us, persecution isn't the way that this is. <laughs> One of the things that preachers do when they translate this or they start to contextualize this is they softball it a little bit, right? Here in the West, we aren't accustomed with the kind of persecution Paul is talking about. We aren't accustomed with, with what he's describing. This is why in, in verse 29 and 30, it says this, for it has been granted to you uh, th that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. This is interesting because uh, it, it, it reminds some of us of, of just what we don't experience here in the West. We don't experience that kind of persecution. We don't experience uh, 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 literally some of the things that are happening to some of these early church movements that are very much entrenched in their systems and their legalism. And then to come in and, and rep Jesus Lord is very contradictory and will put their lives almost immediately at danger. And we here in the West, in America, that just doesn't, we, we can't fathom it the way they could. And I think to some degree, that's okay. Like, I don't think we should feel bad for the time we were born in. We can't help where we were born. We can't help the time we were born. But this does give us an idea of how we can partner with those who are experiencing that persecution. How we can lock arms and prayer and resources, uh, fervently calling their names before the Father. Like, how we can support and be a part of global missions. And even in spaces where they really are living this kind of persecution today. And let me tell you, in case you don't know, it's absolutely happening. Philippians reminds us that we can still experience a type of unity and support, even with our brothers and sisters that experience this. 
Now, 27 through 30, Paul focuses on this, this unity uh, for the purpose of withstanding, right? Of, of like we said, not losing an inch uh, uh, for the faith of the gospel. And then in chapter two, he turns a little bit. It, it now uh, shifts from being, uh, uh, let's, let's stand together against these external pressures, these external uh, 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 attacks, if you will. And now he starts to deal with the internal matters of the church, the internal issues that they're battling or, or fighting against. Let's look at chapter two. It says this. <clears throat> So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord or in full accord, I'm sorry, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, let's be clear. When we see the word if here, all right, for those who don't know, there's a few different types of ifs um, in the scriptures, all right? This is not if as could be a possibility. This is an if as a certainty, all right? Uh, uh, my, my seminarians would define it as if as is indeed the case, all right? So a better way to read it might be since or because, right? Uh, so this if isn't like, is this true? No, it is. It's absolutely true, right? There really is encouragement in Christ. And and comfort and love and participation in the spirit <clears throat> and affection and sympathy, right? So uh, these statements aren't just like, you know, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. No, no, they are. They're absolutely true. And in verse two, uh, I don't think it's shocking, right? That there's four statements here that kind of coincide saying, well, complete my joy being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full of court and on one mind. What is that? That is the utmost unity. Right. Being of the same mind, being on the same page, being on the same accord. Right. This is this unity that Paul is about to, to sweep us into. And then in verse three, he hits us kind of hard now. Verse three says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or deceit. Selfish ambition or deceit. Another translation will say vain deceit. All right. If we were to look at this word in the original language, again, in, in the Greek, uh, we would see keno, which means to empty, and then doxia, where we get our word glory from. Right. Uh, so the word kind of literally reads uh, empty glorying or uh, glory empty. In other words, uh, he's saying here that do nothing from being starved or deprived of glory. He's actually telling them the reason why they're fighting amongst themselves. The reason why there's rivalries, the reason why there's bickering and strife and, and power struggles and all of that sort of weird stuff that involves or in, infects a culture. Uh, he says it's because deep down your glory starved, your glory deprived. You are trying to fill your own hole, right? You're trying to uh, literally trying to pour into yourself uh, something that will make you not feel empty. You feel like you should have more glory, more honor, more respect, more admiration. You feel like uh, you should be uh, respected more as a higher or better or, or just they should recognize who you are, right? And he's saying the reason you're having these disagreements, this, this bickering, this fighting, the reason internally you are suffering as a body is because ultimately you are doing things in a way where you can feel your own emptiness. I'll admit, nobody else will, I'll testify. I know for a fact there has been moments when I've done good things for the wrong reason. Matter of fact, maybe even God things for the wrong reason done things that are good, that, that we should do. And it doesn't mean we should stop doing it. No, we should do it. We should love. We should give. We should serve. We should be generous. We should be uh, open-handed with our time. We'll get to that. But there's times where we do these things uh, in, in an attempt to fill our emptiness. And the truth is, it doesn't work. Doing God-like things won't make you feel better about the void within. It won't make you feel more holy. Uh, it won't make you feel, and if it does, you should be, you should be very afraid, right? 
because it means that that holiness will come from your works and not his. That's dangerous, right? Uh, there's this notion of, of, of creating very contentious environments because we come into this seeking to be filled as opposed to uh, the opposite of it, which, which Paul gets, we, he gets into. Let's, let's keep going. Do nothing from selfish ambition or deceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. This is interesting. It doesn't seem like humility is the opposite of vain deceit, right? Vain deceit, this 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 glory empty, right? Space, glory deprived, starved of glory or honor or respect or admiration, whatever it is you see. Uh, and he contrasts that with humility, right? Doesn't seem right, being lowly, being gentle. What? <laughs> But what Paul is describing here isn't just the opposites. He's describing the byproduct of not being glory empty, not being starved or deprived, but being full. See, humility is what you are when you're full. Because you're not concerned just about you. It says it right here. But a humility count others more significant than yourself. Well, how would you do that unless you were settled about your identity? You were secure in your political affiliation, right? How you make known the kingdom of God in your everyday life. When you're secure there, you have no problem preferring someone else. See, we fight because we're trying to feel a space that was never actually supposed to be empty in us as Christians. As believers, as those who, who, who accepted Jesus, accepted the finished work of the gospel, we're never fully empty. Humility is possible when you're full. I'm a big guy, I know, right? Do you know when I can look a great, delicious-looking meal right smack in the face and keep walking when I'm full, when I'm satisfied. When you're satisfied, I have no problem. Oh, it looks great. Yeah, I'd love to have a bite normally, but I, I'm okay. People are shocked. What? Fine. You don't want this chicken. <laughs> but when you're full, it causes no problem. Verse 4 says this, that each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This is an incredibly different picture of humility, of, of, of Christ-centered community that I think we have seen. I think for many of us, when we start to talk about unity, especially uh, verse uh, two, for a lot of us, uh, the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and that one mind, that sounds triggering for some of us. Right, because some of us are going to immediately minds, our hearts are going to drift to a place of either passivity or abuse, and we'll either, we'll either sort of instantly remember spaces and, and, and groups and, and relationships where it was either passive relationship with us, where it felt like yeah, didn't really matter, didn't really stick, it doesn't, there's, there's nothing here, no substance, or abuse. Ab use to use something that word the prefix ab means away, right? Other than the original intent, right? And so uh, there's been abuse and there's been passivity, and and just like Adam, right? We we tend to drift one way or the other, and when we think about unity, we tend to think in those contexts. And what Paul is saying is that there is something altogether different in the body of Christ. Our unity isn't based on our similarities. It's not based on us liking the same music or movies or style or sneakers. Uh, it's not based on the fact that we are the same socioeconomic style or class. or culture. These things, uh, while they're great and it's cool if you have them in common, and if you don't, that's fine too. Like These things do not limit or even are not the foundation of unity in the faith. I'm convinced that sometimes we confuse real unity with uniformity. We think that that no, it's, it's easy to be united when we're all alike. We're all the same. We're all kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, that, that's easier. Some of us will leave different spaces because, you know, I just, I didn't feel like it was just something I could be a part of. It was just really different. And what we're basically saying is uh, it was too diverse. There was, there was, it was so diverse that uh, uh, I felt like I, I, I couldn't really be a, a part of it. And that, that means we've distorted unity with uniformity. It means we think that unity requires difference or diversity to be stamped or flattened out. Not true. 
Think about it. Uh, unity for us comes from a God who is community. God who exists is three people, all distinct, coexistent, co-eternal, co-equal, all distinct, and yet what? One God. Our God is unity, right? With diversity present. So it, 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 it's it's you can hear the unhealthy sort of coping mechanisms when people think that they need to be less so somebody else can be more. Right? That's that's not unity. That's uniformity. That's not what what Jesus called us to. And then this is some of what we we suffer with. Some of that 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 glory starved uh, uh, nature within us. Sometimes you hear it come out in the way we talk, in the way we encourage each other. <clears throat> Even when we encourage each other to keep going, it kind of has a little bit of that selfishness. Like, hey, you know, you got this. You something. You know what I mean? Like we we big each other up, and sometimes it makes sense, right? And other times it's like mm, our unity. And what makes us a community has always been Jesus's work for us. Jesus's uh, uh, life, death, and resurrection and what it means and what the implications of the gospel are in our here and now. I'm convinced that if you could be a part of a church and you could just uh, uh, supply all of what's, what's needed to make that work in and of yourself on your own, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you got real unity. I don't know if, if, if that's a part of the character, the attitude, the one mind that's being produced to you. The one mind isn't just anything. I love this. Paul knows it this Friday. He knows it this bickering. He doesn't say, hey, okay, check this out, y'all. Uh, this is the five tenets to have better communication or the 10 ways that you can build better teams amongst your people. What does he do when he when he hears of this strife and this, this rivalry, this bickering? He immediately points them to Jesus. He says, hey, the answer to this is the life of Jesus. Like the answer to what you're, what you're dealing with is Jesus. He gives them doctrine. Let's look at it. This is chapter two. We'll skip to verse five. It says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. What? He emptied himself. Now, this we, we got to talk about. We just said, Paul just laid it out. The reason we're fighting, the reason there's strife, the reason we aren't taking care of each other, the reason we're abandoning each other in the fight sometimes. The reason we're not striving side by side. We want to put a lot of distance between us. We don't want the side by side. We want block by block, or maybe you on that side and I'm on this side. And the reason is because of this emptiness within us that we're trying to feel. And, and look at the contrast to it is Jesus being full, right? Being God. This, this passage is also used uh, as a very prominent passage for the incarnation. It tells us a little bit about Jesus's history. It says that Jesus uh, had this form of God. And, and this isn't just, uh, you know, oh, it was like some metaphor, simile. No, that word morphe means he's made of the same stuff. Right? The same essence, substance of God. In other words, Jesus is God. Uncreated, right? The, the uncreated creator. Like this, this speaks to Jesus' height and where he sat. We, had, we literally get to see his renunciation, see his descent in a sense. Bible says, uh, who, who in the form of God, right? God <laughs> didn't think equality with God a thing to be grasped or, her, or held with tight fists. In another translation, it says, uh, or a thing to hold or use to his advantage. But being born, oh, I'm sorry, but he emptied himself and taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Get this, even death on the cross. Now that doesn't hit his heart. Nowadays, but at the time, and this is always important. All right, this is this is why we we love the Bible, why we teach, why we learn about the way we do. Because the truth is, we never want to have an interpretation that will be unfamiliar to the original audience. All right, uh, we don't want to make it mean anything. Right, it should be familiar to the original audience, even in the way we interpret it. So uh, the, the the point here is that uh, the cross, like. Death on a cross was the it was the worst way you could die. It was the it was the lowest of the low. 
like it's, it's even books and, and you, you read about it. some of the first, second, third, fourth century Christians used to try to like avoid talking about the cross. They would like pitch Jesus and, and, and like try to get people uh, to know about him. They would share the information about Jesus and, and try to kind of leave out <laughs> the cross sometimes. Ooh, dangerous. Well, actually, kind of, that makes sense. And I think that's, that might be why we avoid suffering the way we do. Like That might be why we think we're going to have the good life when we get saved. We got a gospel with no cross in it. That's, that's funny. All right. Uh, but there are these people who would leave out the cross. They would, they would, they would, because they felt like it would hinder people's belief and their ability to ascertain who Jesus was because they would just throw out, oh, no, there's no way he could be great if he died on the cross. That's the worst way to die. So this denotes the drop. It denotes how humble Jesus was. And the fact that he, who was God, humbled himself, born as a human baby. I love what my brother Nate said. He didn't uh, commute. He didn't come and then go back to heaven at night and get that feeling. No. He came and stayed. He incarnated. He made himself a part of this world. And not just the drop from God to human babies. But he also literally died in the worst way. Hmm. I think it's Timothy Keller who said that one of the things that humanity fears most, uh, even about hell, isn't just the fire or the flame. It's, a, it's, it's in a sense of being eternally forgotten. He writes this book and he talks about how uh, uh, all of us, we seek attention, right? There's this, you know, we talk about that, that, that glory M thing, right? Well, we, we seek <clears throat> community. It's been said that the esteem of those you highly esteem is what builds self-esteem, right? It's not just anybody saying good stuff or nice stuff. It's those you highly esteem. The praise of the praiseworthy is the only kind of praise that gets in, that lands sometimes. And, and, and this speaks to our emptiness and the fullness of Jesus. Notice how very different this is than you and I, and even so many of our relationships. Jesus thought that this, this form of godliness wasn't something to be grasped and held on so tight. And it came in the likeness of a man. We who have this likeness of a man are always somehow trying to act like God. Trying to control, trying to arrange and, 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 and have this sort of decorum to our life, wanting everything to be nice, expecting people to do what we want them to do. Jesus emptied himself because he was full. We who are empty sometimes abandon the God who fills us so that we can do stuff that we think will fill us instead. I think one of the most damaging things, like Paul mentioned, is it's not a heart that doesn't want to serve. It's a heart that has the wrong idea about what the service produces. I think some people think that, that in this community, even in our local context at Detroit Church, some people might think, maybe even us, right? Not make it them, make it us. Maybe we at different times have thought that, that hey, no, look at, look, at, look at my service. Look at this. This is pure. This is good. And expected that in some way to be counted to us for righteousness. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do good works. We should. We should be seen doing good works. But if we ever think that the good that we do, that, that what we've uh, uh, amassed or what we've learned or what, we, what we've got experience in and, and whatever height we've gotten to in our lives makes us something or is something substantial enough to feel us, then it means We've slipped, our gaze has fallen. See, Paul is trying to fix this division by lifting our gaze and saying, no, see and worship Jesus. He knows that real unity, is, it doesn't come because we preached about it. It comes because people see Christ high and lifted up. We see how he came, how he emptied himself, how he, he made himself nothing. And come on, let's be clear. Uh, even as so-called nothing, he was doing signs, wonders, and miracles. So nothing didn't mean that he, he just wasn't deity anymore. He's all God, all man. It, it, a better way to define it would be no reputation, right? Uh, he didn't need people to feed into his ego. So very different from us. 
this is a passage that I love because I think it reminds us of the way in which Jesus lived here. I think sometimes we, in following Jesus, want to live in a way that's different than the way he did. This is, this is what people thought. Listen to this. This is Isaiah 53. He was despised, rejected by me. <laughs> oh, man. This, I'm sorry. That is like not anything that any of us are praying for, right? I guarantee you on your vision board at home this year for New Year's, it was not. You know what? I want to be despised by men. It's going to be great. No, it definitely wasn't on the board. But this is Jesus. He was, a, he was despised. He was rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep before that's before, it shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The thing that, that Tim Keller talks about, this, this fear of ours, this being eternally forgotten, not being known, not being seen, this, the thing that sometimes causes us to be uh, to do or to, to serve out of, I fear that, that they won't know, they won't know who we are, they won't recognize, they won't acknowledge us unless I, I, I do something. And yet, Jesus came and experienced our dejection. The one that we deserve, like true dejection, not just from like other people. But on the cross, he goes, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus takes the thing we avoid most, the thing we're most afraid of. And in doing so, this is why, this is why again, the esteem of those who highly esteem is what builds self-esteem. Uh, or, or, or the praise of the praiseworthy is what causes real praise to land. Like the fact that Jesus, the one who took your and my punishment, the penalty for our sin, he has, has paid the sin debt. And now he speaks well of us to the Father. Now when the Father looks at us, he sees the commendation of the Son. He, he doesn't see us as empty, glory star. Now the glory of the Son is shared among us freely. Meaning what? You aren't empty. Even if you feel like it right now, even if you're in a situation where maybe in the context of believers or community, you might feel like, I just I don't know what else to do. I'm uncomfortable. I just I feel like this isn't working. It's not right. I'm at the end of myself. And if you're there right now, if you're on that edge, then, hey, guess what? You're in good company because that means you're in a space where if you will just raise your gaze and see Jesus, you would see that he has made a way for you to be fooled even when you believe you're empty. Fullness is a possibility. It's right there. It's in grass. It's with it's, I'm sorry. It's within your grass. This is why I think we need to be reminded on, on what Jesus has done for us, on who he is, because he reminds us on, on what this trajectory is like. Even for Jesus, let's, let's read it. We're going to go back to chapter 2. I'm almost done. I promise you. I'll get to the end. But chapter 2 says this in verse 9. Therefore, matter of fact, no, we, we, we got to go back a little bit. So you, you got you to you see, right? Uh, we'll go back to seven. But Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse nine. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. There's a lot of theologians that are over this next part. <laughs> a name that's above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Let's be clear here. 
Jesus did not come to earth so that he could get exalted. It wasn't a transaction. Jesus was obedient and the father in his love in and of himself, right, on his own decides to exalt the son. Exalt the suffering lamb. The name of the message is the ladder to the lamb. You can see it on a little bar there. And most of us will assume that makes sense, all right? The ladder to the lamb. We climb up the ladder, and that's how we get to heaven. That's how we get to the lamb. Nah. The ladder to the lamb isn't a climb up. Actually, a climb down. It's a climb down from a place of our privilege and down from a place of our rights and prerogatives. We, 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 we give up some of these things, uh, the will to just be right, the, real, the will to just be respected or adored or feared instead of loved. That's a thing. We give these things up and we climb down the ladder in the way that the lamb did. We hop up off our seat of privilege and invite someone else to sit there. We put the interest of others ahead of ourselves. In this book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes this, this chapter on pride. It's where we, we hear the phrase uh, that humility isn't thinking uh, less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. See, humility is a byproduct of of being full from the finished work of Jesus. When you're full, it's of no consequence to you to, to promote someone else, to see each other as not, a, not as challengers or aggressors, but as brothers and sisters, those that we, we labor with and we fight with and we strive with and for, never against. So here's some questions. Do you have a hard time letting go, opening your grasp for the things that you worked so hard for? How are you giving up your time, giving up your resources, your possessions, making yourself available? Sometimes uh, uh, some of us have gotten really good at being generous with these sort of tangible material things. How are you with giving of your heart? Letting people see who you are, letting people know Right. And again, we use wisdom. Right. We're not crazy. You know, we, we're not saying, you know, everybody you meet, you unload everything. But when you're when you're led to, how are you? at that? So, you know, got check real quick. It's a big one. Do you find it hard to relinquish your rights to be mad? Oof. How are you when you actually got a reason to be mad? How are you then? Are you the one that, no, I got you. I got you. You did it. You actually did it. And that was wrong. And I'm mad and I'm upset. Like, like are you able for the good of preservation, uh, for the good of preserving the relationship? Are you able to relinquish, to, to, to consider right, not a thing to be grasped, to consider respected and, and admired, not a thing to be grasped? Are you willing to risk that and live open-handedly in a way where we can prefer each other, where we can care for one another? Can you acknowledge any emptiness that's, that, that's been a part of your wanting to serve or serving? Can you admit that there's been some times where everybody on the outside was like, oh my God, this person's so great. Look how they're just giving of themselves. Oh, I want to be like them, man. I just, I need to get better in that area. All the while not knowing that inside you're serving from a place of emptiness and not fullness. If you can, the next question would be, can you see Jesus? Can you see what he's done for you in the gospel? Can you see the finished work of the cross as being something life-changing? Can you see uh, that because of what he's done now, uh, you have the greatest, like the one who literally has a name above every other name. He speaks well of you. He speaks well of you. He sings over you and speaks uh, a good over you, his grace toward you. He has shared his righteousness with you. Can you see what has happened, what has been done, not just for us, but what has been done to the glory of the Father in the Son. 
I submit to you that it's, it's hard to fight against uh, 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 people that are making each other low, that, that I'm sorry, that are making ourselves low as we serve each other. It's hard to bicker and have rivalries when we're preferring one another. We're, we're like, no, 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 it's not just what I want to do. I love this and I like this style. And, and yeah, for me, I grew up in a black church. It'd be super easy to be a part of a black church, right? That would be normal even. It would be natural. Uh, but if, is, is there an opportunity for greater humility? Is there an opportunity in a diversity? space where, where but the only thing that could get the credit, the only one that would get the credit is God. Family, to be what the Bible calls us to be, to be the kind of people united internally, uh, 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 suffering for one another, loving one another, caring for one another, and then at the same way in the end of chapter one, right, like locked in arms, not giving up an inch to be this. The only way it's going to happen is if you and I, us all, die. That's it. It's not going to happen because you tried harder. It's not going to happen because you read a book. It ain't going to happen because I preached about it. It's only going to happen when we see what Jesus is. We climb down the ladder to the lamb and we die. And guess what? Nobody's better at it than us, the followers of Jesus, those who take our crosses up daily and die. Like no one is better at this than us. We were born for it. You were born to die. This is the beauty of the call that God has placed in us. And he's making it known, making it clear here through Paul that this is the, the what we are to emulate. See, there's a lot of, uh, you know, debating about this passage. Is it a poem? Is it not a poem? Was it a hymn? Was it pre-Pauline? Would Paul kind of just put this together to drive his argument home? There's people a lot smarter than me that have debated it for way longer than I've been around, right? And even some of them will acknowledge that in their debating, they somehow miss sometimes the the, the truest effect, the, the purpose of where it's placed in Paul's argument. See, it's not that we just we need to go and just go recreate suffering so that we can get exalted. It ain't uh, that we just go, then we make it transactional, right? We want to do something, you know, bad so they got to give us something good. We want to go and try to, you know, force it to happen. That's us. That's works. That's not him. <laughs> We're not saying go and recreate a crucifix in your life. Go make it a thing. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is we, we let this mind, that's what he says in chapter one and two, this mind, this spirit be on one accord. What's that one accord? Emulating or imitating the attitude of Christ. The attitude of humility, the attitude that says, no, I'm full. I don't mind pouring myself out. I don't mind emptying myself because I know where to go to get full. I don't mind giving and preferring each other. I don't mind uh, of making time to care and to love one another. I don't just make decisions uh, like, like just like Paul. I got things I want to do, but I'll lay those desires down and make a decision sometimes that God has me make for the good of those I'm serving and serving alongside. This is a different kind of church for us, friends. But this by God's grace, is what we want to hold up as the standard, the scriptures. This is what we want to become. This is, is the reason why we are, we're in homes all over the city. This is the reason why when we gather or when we scatter, uh, we want to love each other. We want to see each other. We want to prefer each other. We want to be able to, in love, call out when we see, hey, you're serving good, but I, I don't I don't know. Are, are, are you careful that you're not serving out of an emptiness? Are you, are you good? I love you. I don't want you to be glory deprived. I can speak well of you, but I'm never going to say as much as Jesus says about you. Last thing I'm done. Last couple of things. I know we're not in person, but I still get at least two or three closes. That's, that's the rule. That's the standard. I got to do that. And I close. There's this instance, right? Just one of the many instances where Jesus uh, is, 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 is giving an example of his humility and, and, uh, he's sitting at the table and he, and he gets up and gets a towel wrapped around him and he, he kneels down and he starts to wash the disciples feet. And, and Peter has just a, an incredible reaction, you know, like, like what you, you want to wash my feet? Like, no, <laughs> never, no way. Like that's not. And Jesus is talking to him. Like, I, I know you don't understand right now, but afterwards you will. Because if I don't wash your feet, you have no share with me. 
it reveals in us that it takes just as much humility to initiate serving as it does to receive it. I think I'd be remiss if, if, if I didn't acknowledge that while some of us are good in, in, in showing humility and serving others, but then when it's time to be served, our pride frames up. How are you being served? How do you receive relationship? How do you receive a, a serving or preferring in relationship? Family, this is a game changer us. I pray even now that, that, that people in homes all over the city, people, families at the table, on the couch, in the car, wherever they're listening, uh, Father, that this would be uh, uh, something that would that would cause our, our mindsets to shift, but we would shift away from uh, personal advancement and, and, and what might suit us best, but we would lock in on the attitude of heaven, living in a way that our conduct, our manner of life uh, is worthy of the gospel. It clearly communicates the king that we serve. Father, you are able to empower us to live this out. <laughs> oh, this is so great. I love even where you're going next week. You'll walk us through this even more. But God, I pray that this is a moment where maybe we repent for some of us. Maybe we confess for others. Uh, maybe it's a moment where we just reflect of, of, of just how many opportunities that God has given us to experience the goodness in his body, the diversity of his body for the purpose of building real, true unity, not uniformity, real God honoring unity that could only come by way of Jesus' finished work on the cross. And the truth is this the only thing we can actually take with us, all that we can take really, is people. It's people. Can't take your stuff, can't take your things. Only thing you got is people. So I pray that you all have an incredible day. I pray that your conversations, your discussions are blessed and that you would feel this weight, this responsibility to be the body. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank God. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Detroit Church Podcast. We'd love you to subscribe, like, and rate. And if you're not already, you can follow us on social media by searching for Detroit Church.